This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, we draft the best college basketball players of all time in this week's Out of the Box Draft. The Q&A segment covers potential rule changes in baseball as the ten- potential universal DH comes to the National League, as well as the growing number of celebrities, celebrities and athletes jumping into the boxing ring. Our main topics wrap up with Dylan and Dylan's college football playoff top six. This week in sports covers the Odell Beckham Jr. and Cam Newton news, as well as picks for Baylor versus Oklahoma, Ohio State versus Purdue, and Wake Forest versus NC State. Exciting episode of all the best sports talk coming your way from your favorite duo, Dylan Jesperson here, along with my esteemed colleague and co-host, Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. I'm coming off maybe one of the best football weekends of my entire life, of my 24 years on planet Earth, maybe one of the best football weekends I've ever had. Went to Lexington, just clatted in orange, and very much enemy territory, people gave me all kinds of books, heard new words that I thought I would never hear. That was fun. Uh, that was before I even got in the stadium. Kroger Field, very nice place. Um, all jokes aside, though, the people were very nice. Very nice host in Lexington. Uh, and a very, very fun game. Like we were talking before the, we started recording. That game was a lot of fun. A whole lot of points, which, as we come to expect from Josh Heifel in the University of Tennessee this year, uh, it's just a fun team. Hendon Hooker showed he might be the best quarterback in the SEC, which is really, really exciting as they gear up to play number one Georgia uh, on Saturday, which I, I'm not going to talk myself into it, but we'll, we'll get back to that in the show because I might talk myself into it. And then the Titans, Sunday night football, went to L.A. and just beat the hell out of the Rams. And no one expected it without Derrick Henry. And now the Titans, people are like, hey, they might actually be Super Bowl favorites. And I'm not going to say I was the one sitting here in July saying it, but I, I was. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's been a really, really fun week. And then all the stuff in the sports world, the news this past week, have just it's just been awesome. It's what, it's what we follow sports for. It's, it's been a, a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of fun. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastic as well. Yeah, it was, uh, it's officially college basketball season, which means we are now – in the sneaky best time of the year to be a sports fan, you've got early season college basketball, uh, which means those early season tournaments like the Battle for Atlantis and the Maui Invitational. But you've also got the meaningfully meaningful football games as well in college football and the NFL. Uh, and then you've got NBA basketball. Hockey is starting up. Uh, high school football playoffs are heating up here in Michigan. I'm sure they are all around the country. So it's a great time to be a sports fan uh, wherever you are. Uh, and we're happy to be along with you today on your Friday uh, as we talk some sports with you today. A reminder to follow the Tunnel Vision Sports Network. That way uh, you never miss any of the episodes that we put out or any of the fine content we put out here 
on Tunnel Vision Sports. Uh, today, we start off with our out-of-the-box draft, and with college basketball officially being back, we thought, what a better way to celebrate them with an all-time college players draft. This week, our rosters will include the best college basketball players of all time. Uh, and if I think I think if you've been listening to us, you, you know, or if you know either of us, you know where a few of our picks are going already. But uh, I'm excited to get going into this t- today regardless. Uh, Dylan's got his coin ready to go. Uh, you don't even need to ask me. I'm going tails. Never fails. What pick do you want? Uh I'll go second and third because I think I know who your first pick is. You might save him, but no, I think I know sure where your not. pick is going, so you, you can go ahead. Number one, the number one pick in this draft, I'm going with Demetrius Jamel Morant from Murray State University. Um, I had to pick John number one. It was the obvious pick for me. Um, sharing a campus with John Morant for two years was an absolute thrill, and I, I'll i never experience anything like that in sports or probably life ever again. It was just really, really surreal getting to watch Ja, they, every home game and then some road games, just getting to watch him just bully the OVC every night he went out there. Like from his first game to his last against Florida State, I, it was just awesome. Um, but, yeah, Ja, a thousand percent, number one on my list of college basketball players. He will be – unless LeBron goes to Murray State and we, we – like a spawn of LeBron James goes to Murray State – John will remain number one on my list till the end of time. Uh, I'll throw it to you for your second and third, or your first and second picks. Yeah, I knew you were going that way. I mean, it has to be something special when you just like, get gifted an NBA, maybe all timer, you know, to go to your school at the same time that you're going there. So I, I knew you were going that way, uh, and, but can't fault you for doing it as well. Uh, with my with the, my first pick, the second pick overall. Uh, I have to go with the easiest pick for me. I'm going with Trey Burke. Uh, he's the man you think about when you think about Michigan basketball, a three-star recruit out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Burke went on to win every player of the year award in his sophomore year at Michigan while leading the team to the national title game, lost to uh, a very illegal Louisville team. And that still hurts me. Uh, but uh, average 18.6 per points per game, 6.7 assists, 3.6 or 3.2 rebounds and 1.6 steals per game. Uh, that season, that sophomore season, uh, when he won all the player of the years, player of the year awards, and of course hit that iconic thirty foot shot against Kansas to send it to overtime to extend our season. So I mean, Trey Burke's just everything you think about when you think about uh, Michigan basketball, uh, and he's by far my favorite player of all time. So easy, easy number one pick for me. Uh, and then with my wraparound pick, the snake pick, uh, I'll go with my favorite non. Uh, Michigan player uh, since I've been watching college basketball, and I think it's a pretty easy pick. I'm going with Kemba Walker out of UConn. Uh, There are very few players that can be as accomplished as a pro as Kemba is and still just be remembered with his, as his college. And, you know, everyone thinks of UConn Kemba before they think about any of the pro teams that Kemba was on because he was just one of those unguardable dudes in those late 2000 era of college basketball that just was so fun to watch. Uh, his junior year, he averaged 23.5 points per game, 4.5 assists, and almost two steals a game. Uh, he was a next-level talent at UConn, uh, personal all-time favorite. I've got his jersey. I've got Trey Burke's jersey as well, so happy to get both of them in the first two rounds of my draft. I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. I love both those picks. I knew Trey Burke was going to come off the board. I didn't know if Kimba was going to that quickly. I was going to snag Kimba with this pick, so move down the line because uh, I also absolutely love Kimba. Um, 
So this next pick, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the clock back to 2003. Uh, this guy only spent one year in college, uh, and if you think of 2003 in college basketball, there's one guy. Oh, there's a couple, but there's one guy, and his name's Carmelo Anthony from Syracuse. As a freshman, you know, just 22.2 points per game, 10 rebounds, no big deal uh, in 35 games. Uh, went on to win, you know, a national championship for Syracuse. And then, you know, uh, didn't get picked by the Pistons, got picked by the Nuggets in the first round, which that that might sting a little bit for you. And I think it stings for everybody because if he would have went to the Pistons, that could have been special for a long time. But no foul rags. Uh, Mello went on to be a great pro, as we all know. Still playing, still rocking for the Lakers. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he can someday get a ring. I hope this isn't his last year. He's got a little bit more time. He's got that. He's got that uh, college ring. He's got all the U.S. Team USA accomplishments, and then uh, NBA hasn't got a championship level yet. But it's Mello. He's one. He's one of the goats in the college game. One of the goats in the pro game. Had to snag him. Whenever we do basketball list, I always look to somehow get Mello on my teams because I. A thousand percent on a mellow guy. And since LeBron didn't go to college, guy guy go to the alternate of Carmelo Anthony. Um, with my third pick, I think this is my goofiest pick, and I'm okay with it. Uh, I'm going to Lawrence, Kansas, and I'm going to a guy that spent a million years in college. And I think everyone knows who I'm talking about with that sentence. I'm going with Mr. Balding himself, Perry Ellis. Uh, I don't have Perry Ellis' stats up. I don't have anything like that. I just know when I think of college basketball, there's a certain amount of guys that like you think of. And Perry Ellis, it seems like he was in at Kansas from the time I was like 10 years old until I was like a sophomore in college. I know that's not true, but it just seemed like he was there forever. And especially in the years of the one and done where we get one year of like guys like Anthony Davis and or John Wall, basically Kentucky guys, but because like Duke and other big time schools, uh, where you get guys one year and then the NBA. Uh, Perry Ellis was not like that. Just that college spirit that I love. And it's just, I don't know. He was there forever. And he was really good while he was there. Uh, so I always, when, you, when I think of college basketball, Perry Ellis is always, always up there for me. So he joined Mello and Joff with me. I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. Yeah, I mean, Perry Ellis probably just like percentage-wise makes up just like he's got to be the highest amount of college basketball highlights just because he was in so many games as a, as a college basketball player. Uh, even with like this extra COVID year that a lot of players have got, he still, I still think Perry Ellis spent the most time in college basketball. And uh, he, I, I like that pick. Didn't expect him to come off the board, but then uh, also the mellow and you bring up a great point. If the Pistons would have drafted him, uh, the, the storyline around mellow could be a lot different because Everyone remembers that Pistons team as the team that won a championship without a superstar. Uh, and Carmelo would have been that superstar. So imagine that team, a team that already won without a superstar, getting a superstar like Melo. Uh, yeah, it, hurt, it does hurt, but uh, obviously great picks there. Uh, for my third pick, I'm going to throw it back. Uh, and this is, if you do research, this is the number one guy on almost every list. And I just had to get him because he, he, represents college basketball he represents basketball in a way but college basketball in a different way uh, I'm talking Lou Elcinder or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as he's known nowadays uh, when that NCAA goes as far as to outlaw dunking to limit the effectiveness of just one player you know you have something special that was Lou Elcinder or Kareem as we know him now 
Uh, they outlawed dunking back in the 60s for it called they called it the Elcinder rule uh, the media called it the Elcinder rule but uh, it was seen as a shot that took no skill uh, Kareem would just go on to create another unblockable shot in the NBA uh, but in college he was also a 26 point per game average for his career shot 63 percent from the floor uh, in his three seasons at UCLA uh, in his three seasons he was a three-time consensus all-american three-time uh, tournament player, most outstanding player, three-time all-conference player, and two-time AP player of the year. Uh, he just has too much. He, he just, I couldn't not pick him. He has too much. He was the per, like perfect college basketball player. Uh, so getting Kareem on the board, I, I, I don't usually go that far back if I haven't seen you play. Uh, I usually don't like, I'd rather get someone I'd know what I'm getting, but Kareem's just too much. He's just too perfect of a college basketball player. So I'll pick up Kareem. Uh, And then for my last pick, uh, this one is a little bit biased and a little bit. uh, But when I think of college basketball, when I was growing up, I'm thinking Jimmer Fredette from BYU. Uh, In the late 2000s, he's now a legend in the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association. But Jimmer was the original long-range shooter before guys like Steph Curry, Steph and Trey Young made it the norm. Uh, Jimmer was the dead-eye shooter from deep, deep distance and a true scorer at the college level. Uh, he scored 28.9 points per game his senior year. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible mark, even for BYU in the Mountain West. Uh, uh, averaged 18.7 points per game for his career and then shot nearly 40% from the three-point range. Uh, and he was just one of those elite college players. When you think about college basketball, Jimmer uh, jumps off the page for me. So... Uh, I'm happy with those two picks. Give me Kareem. Give me Jimmer. I'll throw it to you for your last pick. I like the I like both those picks a lot, and um, I Jimmer was for sure on my list. Uh, but I'm gonna go with a different guy that kind of falls in the same realm as Jimmer, I think. But I have Perry Elton's stats, and I think it's really interesting, especially when you look at him compared to the guy I'm about to draft. Perry Ellis played 144 games in college. I would have thought it would have been a lot more, but 144. He averaged 12.5 points per game, 5.8 rebounds. Talk about consistency. Over 144 games, that's incredible. Uh, three-time All-Big 12, two-time All-Big 12 tournament team. Just got to get Perry Ellis' flowers. He deserves it. Um, had, to, had to get that in, thanks to sports reference, college basketball sports reference for the stats. Uh, my last pick, I'm going to another mid-major, which I always appreciate mid-major teams going, being a Murray State alum, uh, going to Creighton. I'm going with Doug McDermott, uh, one of the goats of college basketball. And the reason I brought up Perry Elsie's played games, because Doug McDermott played 145 career games at Creighton. So one more than Perry Ellis, which shocked me. He averaged 21.7 points per game in his time at Creighton, 7.5 total rebounds. People forget Doug McDermott grabbed the boards. Uh, he won the Wooden Award, the Naismith Award, the Rupp Trophy, two-time uh, – Missouri Valley Player of the Year, the 2013-14 Big East Player of the Year, uh, obviously 2013-14 All-Big East Team, uh, and then the 2013-14 All-Big East Tournament Team. Went on, uh, I mean, obviously had one of the best college careers ever. One of few, uh, it's very few, I can't remember the total number, of college players to ever score 3,000 and grab 1,000 rebounds. Absurd stat. Um, He's went on, got drafted by the Bulls Lottery, and has had a really solid NBA career. Uh, which some people, when he was coming in, they're like, he's, he's the next great one, which I, anyone with half a brain kind of knew he wasn't. But um, he didn't fizzle out like a lot of guys seem to do. Like Jimmer went to China, has had a lot of success. 
Doug's just kind of hung around and d- done his thing. He plays consistently good basketball, makes shots, and uh, makes winning plays, which is it's nice to see a guy go from dominating college. He's been able to go to the NBA, take a smaller role, and still succeed. So, yeah, I'll uh, have Doug McDermott join Perry Ellis, Carmelo Anthony, and John Morant. Awesome stuff. I've got Jimmer. I've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I've got Trey Burke, and I've got Kemba Walker. Um, I'll throw it right back to you. Did you have any alternates that didn't make your list? Sure did. Got quite a few because I have a goofy list, but that's okay. Um, I had Josh Richardson on there. Probably my favorite Tennessee ball of all time. He's went on to the NBA. Probably been better in the NBA than he was at Tennessee, but that's okay. Uh, don't blame him. Make the money. Uh, Isaiah Cannon from Murray State. Uh, he was awesome growing up watching him be the point guard for Murray State. I have a ton of success. was really, really cool. Uh, Tyler Ennis from Syracuse. I was always a big Tyler Ennis guy. I, I liked Syracuse a lot growing up. So Melo and then obviously Tyler Ennis as a guy a little older was a big fan of his. Scotty Reynolds from Villanova was awesome. Bull Bull just a few years ago at Oregon. Played like five games, but he looked like the best player ever. Uh, Marcus Smart from Oklahoma State was I, – I loved him in college. I thought he was going to be incredible in the pros. It turns out he's been really, really good. Um, DJ Wilson from Michigan. I really, really liked him. He was awesome. Got to watch him play in person at the NCAA tournament against Louisville, and I was blown away. I was like, this guy is a stud. He's going to be really, really good in the NBA. Hasn't necessarily got all the chances in the world, but that's okay. I still think he's a good player. And then a couple more recent guys. Johnny Juicing. I absolutely love him. I've talked about him quite a bit. And my man Cameron Thomas from LSU. He, I became a huge fan of his last year. And then Kimba was on my list. And then Peyton Siva from Louisville, also on the list. Really enjoyed watching him uh, put on for the Ville back in the day. Did you have any alternates on your list? Yeah, of course. Uh, I had Mello on there. I had Dougie Buckets, Doug McDermott on there as well. Uh, I had some uh, obvious ones like MJ, Magic Johnson, Wilt, Shaq, P- Pistol Pete. The obvious ones, uh, the more biased ones, guys like J.J. Redick was a good one, 26.8 points per game in senior year. Uh, one of the most hated guys, but one of the most, you know, dominant guys in his time. Uh, Anthony Davis, that, I mean, that Kentucky team obviously was loaded, but when you can stand out on that Kentucky team, that's something crazy. And, you know, he was the, obviously the best player on that team that won the won the championship that year. Uh, and then my bias picks, I've got Nick Stauskas written down. I've got Karis LeVert written down. Both of those guys were awesome at their time in Michigan. Karis spent a lot of time hurt, like he has in the NBA as well, but when he was on the court, he was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and then I had guys like Michael Carter-Williams. He was a lot of fun at Syracuse, too, uh, in his time. Uh, I loved Mario Chalmers at Kansas. That was, like, early when I was just starting to get into Kansas – or get into college basketball. Uh, Kansas was really good uh, at the time. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that that really wraps it up. I really was going to go with uh, – I was – if I needed to, J.J. Redick or Carmelo, uh, and then Anthony Davis was my emergency pick. Uh, and then somehow, if you stole Trey Burke from me, I was going to get Nick Stauskas up there. Um, but awesome stuff, as always. Be sure to look out for both weeks, both of last week's and this week's out-of-the-box drafts coming out. Uh, those polls should be coming your way shortly after this this episode goes live uh, on Friday. Uh, next up, we've got the Q&A segment, as always. Uh, just to get us into the conversation. I love this segment because Dylan and I see the sports world from very different uh, perspectives because of how our teams are aligned in the sports world. Dylan's an SEC fan, so he can see the Big Ten more objectively. He's also a fan of an FCS team or a mid-major team, so he can give us a new perspective on that. Uh, In terms of my question this week, it helps us because his Cardinals are in the National League. 
Uh, and uh, I've wanted to ask this question to uh, a National League fan for a while now, uh, because National League baseball is more of a novelty to me. It's it's different when pitchers get to hit for me. Uh, it's more of a, something you've grown up with. So I need to know your your thoughts on the potential rule change of a universal DH uh, and then any other rule changes you'd like to see implemented with this uh, potential new CBA we're going to get out of baseball this uh, offseason. So as a National League fan, and more specifically as a St. Louis Cardinal fan, because I think that that is a specificity that has to be made because the Cardinal, Cardinal fans are known as kind of sticks in the mud. But younger Cardinal fans, I think, are more, uh, the more with the times. And I am definitely one of those people because I am all for a universal DH. I think that's the way to go. But I'm com- conflicted about it because my 24 years of watching baseball, I'm used to seeing Chris Carpenter, Adam Wainwright go out there and pitch seven solid innings, just hold a team down. Cardinals score a few runs, seventh inning, bottom of the seventh, they come up, the pitcher spots up, and we send out Skip Schumacher to pinch hit. And it's like, all right, that's strategical baseball. It works. We'll have a guy in the bullpen come in for the top of the eighth. And if we, we go crazy in the bottom, we can pinch it again. It's all good. And that's just how I've become accustomed to baseball. And anytime watching an AL game, obviously you have the DH. So it's a little bit different seeing how a manager decides to use pinch hitters, how they use the bullpen and stuff like that. Um, but I think it just makes it more exciting because having to labor through so many years of just expecting an out when no, the number nine hole comes up, it just, it just sucks. Because, like, Wainwright is a good hitting pitcher. That does not mean anything. He's a bad hitter. Like, that, like if he's, like, the higher standard of hitters for that position, that's bad because Wainwright's not that good at hitting. Um, if you take that away, and a, a lot of Cardinal fans are high on trying to get, like, Kyle Schwarber, throwing in Kyle Schwarber instead of Adam Wainwright, that's an insane plus to a Cardinals offense for much of last year was not that good. Even though they've got a lot of players, a lot of good names, Often struggled at times. You had a Kyle Schwarber in there, or you can pull up a guy like Nolan Gorman, who's been a triple-A. Let him start getting at bats. Uh, move someone over to first late Goldschmidt DH. There's so many possibilities that offense to a team that has a hole where you're just gonna take it out every three innings and that or every nine outs. It 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 sucks. Um I I am all for it, I'll be honest, because I, I think the Cardinals are a team right now that they're in win mode. They think the Central's winnable. It's not like the Brewers are just overpowering. They were very good this year, but the Cardinals have the talent to win. They can make a few moves, get a DH, uh, and do the thing. And they've got they've got players in the organization. They can make trades. They can. There's plenty of free agents, like we've talked about, to, to go out and sign. I, I think, at least as, from my perspective, I would love them for them to do it right now because. I think the Cardinals in the, are in the position to get a guy to bring in maybe like an older Albert Pujols. I would absolutely hate for that to happen. Pujols come in, retire as a Cardinal, as the DH. That would be terrible. Um, it just – I think it would take some getting used to because you get away from, like I said earlier, the pinch hitting in the seventh inning to set up bringing in a reliever. It's just – I don't – it's not completely different baseball, but it is – it's the, – the strategy of the NL manager would be a little different. Um, which is okay with me because sometimes it's boring. Uh, it's kind of repetitive and uh, and maybe see some more offense, which what a shame, see more runs on the board. That'd be awful. I, I feel like every Cardinals game I've ever been to, it's like three to nothing, two to nothing, two to one. That 
I mean, it's baseball, but I, I'd like to see some runs. And the, the DH, that poses the idea of, hey, we're going to get more runs on the board, which I'm all for. Uh, as far as other roles, I mostly right now, me, I'm just thinking about the DH. And that, that's all that's on my mind. Um, and I think that's the only rule that, I, as an NL fan, that's all I'm worried about, is getting that DH in and getting runs on the board for the Cardinals and showing that or getting to a point where we can win the central, get a guy in there, make an impact and don't have to watch pitchers hit because that it's not fun at all. It just, it takes it out of you. So yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, as an AL fan, are you for all 30 teams having the DH and seeing, Oh no, you don't get to watch 15 pitchers hit every day. That, Cause it's so great. <laughs> uh, for me, like I said, NL baseball is much more of a novelty to me. So, I mean, I, I watch my pitchers hit maybe 12 games a season. I don't know how many times the, the interleague play uh, comes in, but it, I mean, it's kind of fun in that regard. You, I remember like watching Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer take it bats and just laughing about it because it, it, it's kind of like a fun novelty thing, but I just can't imagine having to do that all season and their whole careers. And I, I think that's a big thing that's going to help just the NL and MLB in general is the DH in the AL extends starting pitchers careers because they're not having to do something they're not really used to doing. I mean, most pitchers are pitcher only from high school onwards. So, um, and then it also extends the careers of, like you said, guys like Albert Pujols who aren't going to play the field, but um, need is still have a valuable spot on, on the team. If you can, if you can slide them into that DH role every once in a while. And that's, that's one of the things I think is so different from an AL fan. You know, I, I, I get the, the pinch hitting stuff, but we still have the same bullpen thought process. You know, we want to get to the seventh, eighth and ninth uh, for our relievers. We just already have that DH there. Uh, I just, it's so weird to think about an NL team structuring their roster because you're missing one of the, I feel like the biggest, one of the biggest parts of an AL team's roster is who you're going to put at that DH spot. Uh, like the Boston Red Sox, picking up a guy like Kyle Schwarber to fill that spot is a big change in that roster. So it, it, I think it makes for a lot of fun. And like, like, you said, uh, like I said last week, if they do make that change here coming up, could make for one of the craziest off-seasons we've ever seen as all these NL teams are scrambling to get their best DH. Maybe they're pulling up guys or making trades with to get prospects that they think could be their next DH. I think that could be a lot of fun. I think that's uh, obviously exciting. Um, and then in terms of other rules, uh, I would like to see the pitch clock introduced. Uh, I think it's something that's been rumored for a while. It's something they've tinkered with. Uh, and then from everything I've read, everything I've heard of from the leagues that have used the pitch clock, uh, it's rarely noticeable and also very efficient uh, way to shave minutes off a baseball game. So here's the numbers from low A West baseball who used the pitch clock. They used a 15 second clock when the bases were empty, a 17 second clock when there were runners on base, a 30 second clock in between in between batters, and then two minutes and 15 seconds between every half inning and pitching changes. And their average game time went from three hours and two minutes to two hours and 41 minutes. So they shaved almost, you know, 25 minutes off their game times. And that might not seem like a ton, but in a sports world where we're trying to desperately keep attention of fans, uh, shortening the game is going to be massively helpful. Uh, And I think pitchers may not like it, but I think it's time to adapt. I remember when I was playing baseball, I felt like, why does the pitcher have so much control over the pace of the game? 
coaches would literally tell me as a pitcher, like, Hey, you have, you, there we're waiting on you. You have take your time, do what you want to do. And it's like, this is the only sport that the, the, there's no equivalent to this in any other sport. Uh, no one player can hold up any other sport like that. Um, so we just need to change that because that's, that's one of the easiest ways we're going to shave time off the, off the game. But yeah, I'm hoping to see that universal DH. I think it's going to be a fun way to change baseball. And also um, I'm hoping for that pitch clock. Cause what, from what I've heard, it's it, you, if, when you're watching a game, you really don't even notice it. You wouldn't notice it. It's more the pitchers have to adjust what they're doing. Um, What's the penalty for say, like it would be a shot clock violation in basketball. What would a pitch count violation what would the penalty so i think it's a warning the first time and then it's just an automatic ball once you once you don't get that pitch clock in so i don't like that yeah you automatically get a ball i mean the i think one of the biggest things that slows down the game is just pitchers that have a really long routine like that and it's uh, i the only i i'd like to see what the difference is between like i i feel like it gives an a an advantage to base stealers because if they're running up on that pitch clock, you know, when they're going to go, you're going to get a great jump. But I think that just incentivizes you more to, you know, if you don't use all that time, get that pitch off before it's down to, you know, two or three seconds. So um, I, I, I think, you know, it's a game baseball for the longest time. It's just given pitchers so many advantages. If we can take some of those advantages away and shorten the game times a little bit, I'm all for it. I, I think, you know, give, give them a little bit, give them a little bit of pep in their step. I know there's already like a, you know, a batter clock. You have to get into the, the batter's box by a certain amount of time. Uh, If you've been to an MLB game, you might've seen that clock, but I think pitchers need to be under the same, you know, let's hurry it up. Baseball is definitely the longest game and it doesn't need to be, we can get some of this stuff out of it. So uh, I'm hoping for that. And the, the universal DH, it's it, it's about time. You know, the NL is about what forty years behind at this point. So let's get <laughs> let's get that figured out. Uh, all right, I know your question has to do with two former football players and the wonderful world of combat sports. So I'll let you get into it. We're we're talking about the modernization of baseball, and now we're gonna switch uh, lanes to the modernization of boxing. Um, earlier this week, it was announced that on the undercard for Tommy Fury versus Jake Paul, we're going to get former NBA All-Star Darren Williams versus former or still kind of current all-pro running back, I think he's a free agent, uh, Frank Gore on the undercard. And my question is, do these kind of fights, the the athlete versus athlete or um, just guys crossing into the boxing platform, does it excite you? And are there any other athletes you'd like to step in the ring, maybe fight each other, fight someone else? whatever it may be, but uh, we've had quite a few athletes step in the ring now. Nate Robinson, Ocho Cinco did it, and then obviously now Darren Williams and Frank Gore are going to fight each other. Uh, it gets me pumped up, but I want to want to hear your take on it. If there's any other guys you'd like to see step in the ring. So I have a, a complicated thought process on it because it, 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 on one side, I think if two former pro athletes want to take their superhuman abilities towards a new sport, and want to test their skills against each other, I'm fine with that. I really think there's avenues for former NFL players, former NBA players to be real capable fighters because they, if you've played in a professional uh, professional sports league, you're probably a freak athlete and can do almost anything with just a bit of training. Um, however, 
the same time, I don't want to see two out of shape former athletes jump into the ring just to, for some pay-per-view money. Uh, <laughs> no one wins in that scenario. And something tells me Frank Gore and Darren Williams aren't going to be pursuing professional boxing careers after this. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe we're good. I think we're going to just see some ugly boxing uh, maybe leads to a few big punches being land, uh, but not, <laughs> not, not enough for me to get too excited about it. Uh, but I do think there's an avenue for former, the, there's definitely some guys that would catch my eye in an avenue for former players to, to go into the ring that would certainly get me watching. Uh, I like to see some of the guys that have flamed out in the NBA or the NFL get, take their chance in a boxing ring and try to go the professional route that way. Uh, I was looking at just some practice squad rosters to to get some ideas. I'm thinking a guy like Noah Spence, big defensive end out of Ohio State. I mean, he's a massive dude. Uh, Matt Sokol is a former Michigan State tight end. He's six foot six, 260 pounds. Uh, he'd be tough to bring down. How about Kendall Hinton? He's a wide out emergency quarterback. Maybe now go be a pro boxer, show your versatility. I, I don't know. I think there's a route for guys uh, that like are just making like just the base money in NFL rosters to go make a name for themselves and maybe, uh, you know, make some, make some real money in the boxing realm. <sighs> kind of like Brock, what Brock Lesnar did, you know, like he just kind of went to these places and once they didn't need him anymore, all right, I'm going to go try my hand somewhere else. You know, the WWE isn't paying me enough. I'll go do MMA. All right. The MMA does, isn't giving me the best. I'll go back to the WWE now. It's kind of, you know, like, once you get, you find somewhere that wants you. And once they don't want you, you go back to the place and they'll want you more because you were good over there. So I, I think, you know, it, it's a different thing. I'll probably watch, you know, a little bit of Frank Gore and Darren Williams. I'm sure there'll be highlights all over Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that, but uh, it doesn't usually get me. It, it, it would depend on the, on the players. And I think there's something about, you know, Frank Gore just seems like a, He's been out of shape and uh, he's been one of those guys that I've been afraid the Lions were going to pick up for about five years now. He seems like the perfect guy that's like out of the league and, and just needs another chance. And the Detroit Lions will give him uh, you know, veteran minimum. Uh, I don't I'm not it doesn't excite me to hear that he's going to be fighting Darren Williams in a boxing match, to be honest. But um, some of them do. But what are your thoughts on it? What are you, and do you have anyone that you think would be fun to watch in a boxing ring uh, along those lines? Yes, but I'm going to give my thoughts first. I really like it because I like I like combat sports a lot. I was raised on WWE. That's that's how I was brought up. WWE and basketball and football. So I love like the spectacle of all this that the Paul brothers have brought to boxing, which I'm sure Keenan hates every word I'm saying right now. Because if it's any other fight than like Logan or Jake Paul, I don't hear about it until like the week of. Like Fury and Wilder fought for the third time a couple weeks ago, the biggest boxing trilogy of like the last 20 years. I didn't know it was happening until the week of. And then I was like, okay, it's Fury Wilder, let's go. I know about these Paul fights like months out because it's all anybody talks about. And I mean, it gets, it gets us talking and obviously like normal boxing cards, I'd have no clue what was on the undercard. Darren Williams and Frank Gore, that catches my eye. I remember watching Darren Williams for the Nets and Jazz. Frank Gore, that guy won a Super Bowl. He was on the Jets. The Titans almost signed him last week. Like, that's insane to me. Um, I think it's just the name value that the guys add. Uh, it catches your eye, and you're like, whoa, what kind of beef do those guys have? Do they have beef? Do they just want a box of what is going on here? Like, we know Jake Paul wants to make, it, make a name for himself. 
that's why he's fighting uh, Tyson Fury's little brother and hopefully getting knocked out by Tyson Fury's little brother. But like Darren Williams or Frank Gore, they're just they're, well, Frank Gore. I still don't know if he's retired from the NFL. I'm pretty sure he's a free agent. He's a free agent on Madden. I know that. I got the trial for Madden, and I went on there and looked, and yet he's listed under free agents. And I take Madden's word over anyone, so he's got to still be active, surely. And Darren Williams, I mean, he was on the Cavs in 16. So, I mean, he, he's still – that's only five years. He, he was He's somewhat decent shape still, I hope. So I, I, I'm excited to see it. Um, it. Like you said, it probably won't be good for boxing, but that's okay. I, I, there's not much – uh, between good boxing and bad boxing that I can tell for the most part. A lot of the time when people are like, this is good boxing, I'm like, is it really? They're just kind of hugging each other. What's going on here? So I, I, I don't really care about the good boxing, the art of the sport, whatever. I, I just want to have fun. What, what kind of crazy stuff are they going to say before? Um, and just kind of just the spectacle of it. I really, really enjoy it. And as far as like who I'd like to see in the ring, my first thought was like Andre Johnson and Cortland Finnegan. They had all that beef back in the day, Texans, Titans. That would be awesome. If they someone could find them, put them in a boxing ring, I'd pay tons of money to see that. That could be a main event, not undercard. Um, after this past week, Nikola Jokic versus any one of the Miami Heat, I'd pay to see that because that almost happened on a basketball court. And the NBA wouldn't have liked that. Throw them in a boxing ring. The NBA could start their own boxing league, to be honest, and it would be very successful because it seems like there's different beefs in the NBA every week, which is a lot of fun because the NBA is kind of like reality TV, which makes it a lot of fun to follow. Um, as far as other guys, I, I like the idea of guys that are kind of struggling and stepping in the boxing lane to try to find some relevancy. And then it's like, oh, hey, that guy, did you see that knockout? I bet he could still put up a post fade. Like, what's Anthony Bennett up to? I, Anthony Bennett is a monster of a man, and he has so much frustration built up. He has to. I, Anthony Bennett, if he was in a boxing match, I'd take Anthony Bennett. He's a big dude that all – ever since he was picked number one overall, no one has said a nice thing about him. There is no shot that he goes to family Thanksgiving. Like, oh, Anthony, happy Thanksgiving. They're like, Anthony, what happened? It was all up, and just then it went all up, all down. Uh, but yeah, I think there's. this is just the start, in my opinion. We thought maybe it would end with Nate Robinson. No, that was like the the uh, the prologue. And now we're, this is like chapter one. We're getting two athletes in the ring against each other. I'm excited to see where it goes because it could get real goofy. And I'm all for it getting real, real goofy. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's just going to be fun to see. Just the spectacle of it all is, what, is my takeaway from it. So I, I just think it's fun. Yeah, I thought uh, my thought that ran through my head when you were saying all that was I think we're like two or three Michigan losses away from seeing Jim Harbaugh versus Jim Schwartz in a boxing match. And that would be that's the one that propped up to my mind. And I could I could very honestly see Jim Harbaugh signing that deal and not thinking much of it. Uh, But yeah, awesome stuff as always. Uh, We'll move on to our final main topic. Uh, of the week we ranted about the college football playoff rankings last week Uh, I would say it just keeps getting worse for the committee as they abandoned the head-to-head argument that they used with Oregon and Ohio State last week Uh, put my Michigan Wolverines ahead of Michigan State uh, and put Michigan at six Michigan State at seven so rather than give you another rant-filled episode uh, we'll give you a little bit of our thoughts but we thought we would rank the top six teams ourselves 
to show the committee how we feel about our rankings going into week 11. Uh, so Dylan, just give me a couple of thoughts on what you think about the rankings that came out just this past week, and then we'll get into our top six. So I thought I had the rankings saved in my uh, notes. I do not. So I have to ask you a question real quick. I'm pretty sure this is correct, but because this is something you'll know. Michigan hopped in front of Michigan State this week. Is that correct? Correct. That's stupid. <laughs> That's really stupid. I agree. I, like, I don't know how these people who are educated, I assume, they, they sat there and they're like, you know what? Michigan State lost. Michigan didn't. It's not like they played a week ago. We don't have anything to go off of. Michigan's got to hop them. It's the only reasonable thing to happen. And it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know what these people are thinking. I, it just, I don't know what goes through their head. Because, like I said last week, it's almost like they're trying to piss everyone off. And they're doing a really good job at it, which is hats off to them if that's the intention. I don't think it is. Um, I just it doesn't it doesn't sit right with me some of the things that they're doing just trying to troll us it seems like because I remember when uh, the ranking came out Tuesday night during the uh, college basketball kickoff between Kansas uh, Michigan State and then Duke Kentucky and I saw that and I was like that's surely ESPN messed up like ESPN messes up every once in a while Michigan State didn't fall behind Michigan that that why would they do that and I. I know I hampered on Mississippi State last week, and I was like, those idiots put Mississippi State at 17. What are they thinking? And who would have thought Arkansas would, would go and beat them? Huh, that, what a shocker. Mississippi State isn't very good. I, I'm flabbergasted. I, the college football playoff, those people, that they knew what they were talking about. I'm sure nothing they did this week will age incredibly poorly by, you know, Saturday at 4 o'clock. That surely won't happen. Um, before we get into our rankings, did you have any initial thoughts about this week's rankings from our uh, great friends at the College Football Playoff Committee? Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with you. I think it's more like a consistency thing with me. I'm not, I'm not the most, I don't think head-to-head necessarily is the biggest argument, and obviously that's going to sound biased coming from a Michigan fan, um, but I think it's more of just the consistency of it. You look two or three spots ahead and you have Oregon ahead of Ohio state. And I think that's a better argument for a head to head loss that could be flipped. Ohio state's a lot different than they were when they lost to Oregon. CJ Stroud is really catching stride. You know, that offense looks a lot different. The defense seems to have plugged up some of the holes. There's still some flaws, but they look a lot better. Uh, And Oregon lost CJ Verdell. So, I mean, they're a totally different team than the team that played Ohio state on the road earlier in the season. So I think that would make way more sense, but they didn't do that. But then they did do it in the Michigan, Michigan state game, which was a much closer game and much more recent. So, you know, it's just the the consistency, like I said, in our episode last week is the thing that they, they knew they messed up. And it's almost like, you know, it's, it's bad when you've got people like Reese Davis on the show going like, Oh, they must be, giving an excuse for when Ohio state jumps Oregon later in the season. Like we can see through that. That's as transparent as possible. That's, you know, that's why they did that um, because it's all going to work itself out in the end. You know, Michigan still has to play 
Penn State and Ohio State. Michigan State still has to play Ohio State. Ohio State still has to play both of us. So it's all going to work itself out by the end of the year. They just want to set up those arguments for later. Like head-to-head doesn't matter now, and, and we'll show you here so that later you'll understand it. And it's it's like we're not we're seeing right through it this year. You can't do this stuff. This <laughs> like we we know what you're doing and. Uh, yeah, it's it's bad. So let's get into our own top six. I say we just start from number one because I think that's the easiest one. The the lower ones are actually a bit more controversial. So we'll start at number one. Who you have at number one? At number one, I have the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> Fire off the cannons, a shocker. Who do you have at number one? Yeah, I've got Georgia, and I think the college football playoff committee should look themselves in the mirror and ask, why is Georgia so obviously number one? Well, they're undefeated. There's a big one. They've passed the eye test. They won a close game against Clemson, but they're also blowing out everyone else that they're playing. Uh, And they've been number one and have not done anything else for us to think otherwise. So easy enough. Georgia's number one. All right. Who do you have at number two? At number two, I have the University of Cincinnati. They're undefeated. They, They have quality wins. They, I still do not understand why they're, why they're being disrespected. They've won every game they've been in. They beat Notre Dame on the road. They beat Indiana on the road. I, they're just being uh, disrespected because they're Cincinnati. If it was Clemson, like we talked about this last week, if they had the name Clemson or Oklahoma, which Oklahoma is kind of being disrespected, but that's a different story. Uh, Cincinnati, if they had a marquee name, they would be number two. And because they don't, the College Football Playoff Committee has their thumb in their mouth and they're like Cincinnati what do we do six and then they they just freak out but yeah Cincinnati's number two in my book Desmond Ritter Luke Fickle they're humming uh who do you have at number two yep I got Cincinnati number two as well uh they don't necessarily pass the eye test but they're undefeated and they have the best win of the undefeated teams right now uh their best win is a top 10 team which is better than Georgia can say it's better than Oklahoma can say better than Alabama or Ohio state or Michigan can say right now. So they have the best win. Uh, They don't have a loss. Uh, It's pretty easy. They've done what they've needed to do. They've won the games they've needed to win. I I know they haven't looked great in some of those games, but Bama hasn't looked great in some of their games. Oklahoma certainly hasn't looked great in some of their games. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's, I think, if this isn't the year that a group of five teams going to make it into that top four, then they're just never going to be. Uh, So we've got to, Hopefully, I'm hoping Cincinnati, even though it hurts Michigan's chances, I'm hoping Cincinnati wins out just to stick it to the college football playoff committee and be like, you're going to put them in. You're not going to overlook them because if they're undefeated at the end of the year and on like two or three one loss teams get in above them, I think a lot of people are going to be very upset with that, regardless uh, of your fan, uh, like your your fan, your fanhood, your fandom, whoever you're rooting for, it's since he's going to be what you're thinking about. Um, but yeah, I've got Cincy at number two as well. Who do you got at number three? I have at number three, I have from the Big Ten, Ohio State University. I think the Buckeyes of the one loss teams have the best loss. And um, that's the early season on. It was on 9-11, they lost to Oregon at home. And it was a, I mean, it wasn't a good loss because, I mean, they got thumped by Oregon. Oregon did work that day. It was really cool to see, especially being in the Buckeye State that day. It was really, really funny watching uh, Ohio State fans just being uh, just upset. I, I don't know if I've ever seen uh, people get that upset that early in a game just about how badly Oregon was just whooping them. 
but since then, Ohio State has done Ohio State things. They've got right on track. CJ Stroud looks strong. Um, I think just by resume, they've got the best loss, and they only have one of them. And Oregon is 1,000% a quality loss. If it was a closer loss, they it would look a lot better for them. But, I mean, the way they've bounced back, Ohio, and I'm, they have a very good chance to win out, and I think they very well could. So Ohio State looks very strong when they come at number three behind the best team in Ohio, Cincinnati. Uh, who do you have at number three? Uh, so at number three, I've got my, my first little change up. I've got Oklahoma at number three. And it, now again, they have not passed the eye test and especially almost losing to Tulane and almost losing to Kansas. But, uh, and you know, they had to bench Spencer Rattler. They have not looked great at basically any point this season, but they're undefeated. And, and you know, the committee has actually gotten a lot of credit for underrating Oklahoma. If a power five team can go undefeated and not make it into the top four at the end of the year, especially a blue blood like Oklahoma. I mean, that's a scary statement that would be made from the committee. That means basically you can go undefeated, win every game on your schedule. And even in a four team playoff, you're not going to make that top four just because you, you didn't look good while you were doing it. I mean, that, that, I mean, that's a scary thing to think about now. I, I get it. Everything's going to work itself out in the end, but I think that's one of the worst thought processes the committee has is like, Oh, it's all going to work itself out in the end. No, just rank the teams. Just rank the. Te- don't do like, oh, they'll play each other and it all work. No, just rank the teams, and then it will play itself out in the end. When you play that game, then it can't. Work. You're you're making you're doing something different. You're not letting itself work out in the end. So I've got Oklahoma at three. They're undefeated. They don't have a loss. They have a better. I think that's a better argument than the teams like Oklahoma or Ohio State, Alabama have uh, to be at number three. So I've got Oklahoma at number three. Um, we'll throw it to you. Who you got at number four? So copy and paste what you just said because I have Oklahoma at number four. Um, they've looked since that Texas game when they put in Caleb Williams. They've looked like a different team, honestly, because they started off shaky. And I honestly like. Week four or five, I just kind of assumed they had lost the game. And I was very confused to learn that Oklahoma was still undefeated a couple of weeks ago. So I just – I thought they lost. I, I don't know when I thought they lost, but just kind of in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, Oklahoma, they've lost the game. They sure haven't. Um, and it shouldn't matter that they don't pass the eye test because they're doing it. They're undefeated. They shouldn't lose a game this year in the Big 12 because the Big 12 not good. Um, so they should walk through that conference win the conference championship, and they should be number four. I think Ohio State is, like I said, they've got the best loss out of the one-loss teams, so that boosts them. And I think if you're going to eye test Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma, Ohio State's got the eye test over Oklahoma. So Oklahoma comes in right behind them. Uh, but, yeah, I think that team is not bad at all. It's Oklahoma. I mean, they've been doing this for a while. They should – like, what Cincinnati's hurting from, it seems like Oklahoma is too much crazy because Oklahoma's got the brand. They should be right up there with the other uh, big boys, but I don't know. They're being disrespected. The The committee has no problem disrespecting Oklahoma. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense to me. They, they It's confusing because it feels like they, they should be disrespecting Cincinnati, which they are, but boosting up Oklahoma in the process, and they're not. I don't know. It's head puzzle. It's head scratching. It's, it's, a, it's a big puzzle in my head that I can't solve. Uh, but, yeah, Oklahoma. Cincinnati, both disrespected, both being my top four. Uh, who rounds out your top four? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's confused me about, like, the fact that the committee is getting so much credit for 
downgrading Oklahoma, which I get, you know, they've, they haven't looked great and they've made the playoff a few times. And I think it's more of just college football fans wanting different teams in the playoff. We've seen Oklahoma lose a few times. So let's see uh, a Cincinnati team like that, but I just want to stay consistent with it. I want to know what it takes to make the playoff because Michigan at some point is going to compete for that. And if it's a, this ranging scale of different things that I don't know how to make the playoff, I'm going to be very upset uh, when I don't make the playoff. I've got a one loss team right now with a real chance to, to make it. So uh, I'd like to know what the consistent you know, benchmarks are that we need to hit. Uh, but like you said, copy and paste what I said about Oklahoma, copy and paste what you said about Ohio State. Uh, I've got them at number four uh, and I don't uh, you know, I don't have, like I said, I don't hold head to head as uh, as highly as some people. So I've got Oregon farther down than this, but um, you know, I, I said a lot of it in the beginning, you know, the team that we saw lose to Oregon is a lot different than the team we see now. CJ Stroud has gotten light years better week by week uh, and the defense while still flawed has shown it's capable of holding on in big games like uh, against Penn State. So their loss is their – is the of the one-loss teams, they have the best loss against a good Oregon team. Um, and they have the opportunity to prove their ranking with MSU and Michigan down the stretch. Uh, it should be easy to play itself out. But, you know, I still think they're – of those three teams, they're obviously the most talented team. So uh, at number four, I got uh, Ohio State. Uh, we'll move on to number five. Who do you have at number five? First team out, uh, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide at number five. Uh, I think I just I hampered on a lot last week when I kind of ranted about the uh, first playoff rankings. That Texas A&M loss, I do not think it's a good loss. And a lot of people, especially SEC people, like that. That's not a bad loss for Alabama. It's A&M's turned out to be good. Well, they weren't when they lost to them. They were unranked. Uh, and if Alabama would have beat them, they probably A&M probably would not be ranked right now. That's probably how it goes. Um, Alabama should have won that game. Alabama's probably right up there with Uga, uh, Uga, Georgia. <laughs> my notes. Um, right up there with Georgia in terms of talent uh, this year. Because Georgia has a riches of talent. But Alabama does too. And I, with having one loss, saying Alabama's underproduced is a crazy statement, but they have. Because they should not have lost to Texas A&M. And a lot of their scores look like blowouts but a lot of them have been closer than what they have been. They, Alabama scores late. It's what they do to make themselves look better. They know how this game works. That Nick Saban's been around the block, and he's trying to try to make things look better. Like that Tennessee-Alabama game was a pretty tight game throughout, and they scored a lot in the fourth quarter to make it – it was a blowout in the end, but it was tight throughout. Tennessee's not as good as Alabama. They don't have near the depth, blah, 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 blah. It's – Bama, I don't know. They're manipulating things to make themselves look better. They're screwing with Oklahoma and Cincinnati, which I don't like. Uh, I have a deep hatred for Alabama anyway, so I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not thrilled with what they're doing this year. Um, they're a good team. I just – I don't know. They're underproducing for what they should be. They have so much talent, uh, which is disappointing because that A&M loss, I don't know. Still don't like it. That's why they I, – I definitely hold the Oregon loss for Ohio State a lot higher than the A&M loss for uh, Alabama, and that's – they come at five for me. Who do you have as the first team out in your rankings? Yeah, and the thing that the playoff committee has a problem with too is that these SEC teams, like we said, the SEC bias that they have is like they they just stack up, and so at the loss that Alabama takes against one of those teams, well, they then it just shoots Texas A and M up farther, and then it's like, oh well, then they look way better because I think A and M's at like eleven now with three losses. It's like 
they're not the 11th best team in the country. We know that they're not, you know, they're not comparable to like a Michigan or Michigan state right now. So uh, I think, you know, that, that stuff makes me mad. Uh, a lot of what you said, I've got Bama at number five. Uh, I mean, you watch, we just watched them struggle against LSU last week, a team with a dead coach walking in uh, Coach O and Ed Orgeron. I mean, this is, I don't think they deserve a top four spot as of right now. I think it's just truly not even the eye test because I don't think they've looked great even at times. I mean, Bryce Young was a Heisman candidate and now he's not, you know, I mean, Brian Robinson Jr. hasn't impressed me that much. Um, I don't, you know, other than Jamison Williams, who's obviously a stud, I think that's like the one guy that pops off the page for Bama. But I think it's more just, you know, we know they've recruited so well, so they have to be good. And it's like, they might not be good. You know, there, there was that Mark Ingram team that lost two games uh, back in the day. We, they were teaming with talent, but if they lose two games, they, they lose two games and they can't make the playoffs just because we know how talented they should be. It's how talented they are. They lost to a the worst team of the one loss teams that are, are vying for that last spot right now. So uh, I'll throw Bama here at five uh, and, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. There's going to be things that happen uh, down the stretch with, you know, they'll probably end up facing Georgia in that SEC title game and we'll really see how good they are or not good they are. Um, but, you know, it's with a loss already being at two, that just doesn't make sense to me. I, you know, there's too many good undefeated teams left in the country so, to be putting Bama all the way up at two. Uh, rounding it out, who's who you got at number six? At number six, I have the Oregon Ducks. I, I think they, they deserve their flowers. I think they should be in the top six, but they're, I don't think they're t- touching that top four, and I don't think they should. Uh, they've had a good season. I think they'll finish out to have a good season, but that – they, they lost to Stanford. It turns out Stanford's not that good. Uh, Stanford just – they outmatched them that day. Uh, at, it was at Stanford. Stanford's big receivers against Oregon's undersized DBs. It was just a mismatch, and uh, that sucks. That's going to keep them from a top-four ranking because they, they should have beat them, and they should have ran through the Pac-12 schedule. But, hey, it's what it is. Uh, it's, it's how the cookie crumbles, I guess. And Oregon's going to be on the outside looking. And they, they might slide farther than sixth because – there's teams under them like Michigan, Michigan State, who can get a win over Ohio State like they did, and it'll look a lot better for them than Oregon. But hey, is what it is. Oregon's gonna have a really good year. They're just they're gonna be on the outside looking in. Who do you have at six? Uh, same thing. I've got. We're thinking a lot of a lot of like in this one because I've got Oregon at number six. I wanted you know Michigan State may have the next best win uh, after Oregon, so I, I wanted to kind of put them there because Purdue's not a bad loss uh, looking like at this point. Um, and Michigan's, I mean, Michigan's got probably the, one of the worst loss or one of the best losses in terms of losing to Michigan state another top 10 team, but you know, you beat a team like Ohio state, you need to get the credit that you deserve for that. I mean, Michigan hasn't done it in quite a long time. So I know how hard that is to do, but like you said, you lost to an unranked Stanford team, uh, and without CJ Verdell, I think the, you know, this, the, the ceiling of this team goes way down, I think. You know, there's not many playmakers left on that Oregon team. Uh, You're really relying on your defense, which is, I think, as a Michigan fan, not something you want to do at this point. You don't want to be relying on a shaky offense uh, if you're going to the playoff. Alabama, Ohio State are not going to – they're going to 
it's going to be a track meet at some point if you can't score with them. Uh, you're not going to be able to hold down guys like Jamison Williams, guys like C.J. Stroud, Chris Olave. You just can't hold them down for long enough, uh, especially if you're going to face them a second time. So uh, I like Oregon at six. I don't – I think of all the teams we listed here have the worst chance of making the playoff at this point. Their, their schedule looks great ahead of them, but they don't have – that also works against you because they don't have a lot of chances to make up the ground that – teams like Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State do. So um, we'll see how it all plays out. But I think that I, both our lists are much better than the college football playoff committee's list. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. I think that's mostly the consensus uh, around that, you know, Oklahoma and Ohio State, Bama, what you do with those three teams is a little bit tougher. But we can all agree that Cincinnati needs a little bit more respect. Uh, Oklahoma needs a little bit more respect at some point. Um, but good stuff there. We'll move on to this week in sports. Uh, for the record, just by the way, I would probably put Michigan at seven and MSU at eight right now, but it's splitting hairs. You could argue about it all day. Uh, I wish we could play them again uh, because I feel a lot more confident now, even knowing that we lost the first time. I feel a lot more confident now than I did going into that first matchup. But moving on. This- I, I want to throw in my number seven team as well. It's, it's Tennessee. After that big win in Lexington, they pop up to seven. But that's (laughs) splitting hairs, like you said. All right. right. Moving on to this week in sports, as we got the big NFL news of the week has come full circle since the last time we talked. So Odell Odell Beckham Jr. was released by the Browns uh, last Friday, basically right after our show was released on Friday. Uh, By this week, Odell has signed again uh, to another team, making a super team out in L.A. with the L.A. Rams. Odell Beckham Jr. is a part of the L.A. Rams, confirmed before. Uh, So we wanted to talk about that. Also, Cam Newton, also before we got recording, signed back to the Carolina Panthers. So big signings both ways. The Rams looking like an absolute super team and, and super Cam going back to his MVP team in Carolina. So Dylan, just give me your thoughts on either of those signings or both of those signings. I'm going to go both. Um, I'm going to start with Cam Newton because I, I got those notifications today. It was like Adam Schefter was like, oh, Cam Newton's head to Carolina for a workout. And I'm like, they should do that. I, I like that. Then Matt Rule, you're a smart man. And then like an hour later, like Cam Newton has signed with the Carolina Panthers. I was like, yes, that makes way too much sense with Darnold out, even with Darnold healthy. Darnold, I had a lot of praise for Sam Darnold early in this season. It's gone downhill, which is A-OK. Some guys don't have it. It's all right. Um, the Cam Newton can go in. I've seen a lot of people saying this might be the best offense that Cam Newton's ever had around him. It very well might be. There's a lot of really good skill players in Carolina. Um, I just hope he, he gets the chance. Uh, I hope they're not just like, well, it's a, it's a retirement tour for Cam. Let him, let him go out there and ball. It's Cam Newton. That's a former Heisman winner, former MVP. I mean, he took this franchise to the Super Bowl. And, I mean, they were right there playing with one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And that Broncos defense is one of the best defenses of all time. They were super good, and Cam Newton was right there playing with them. So um, he's the best Panther of all time. I, that's a very reactionary take, but I have no problem saying it. There's probably, I, yeah, I'm going with it. I tried to have a second thought. It's Cam Newton. Hands down, Cam Newton, best Panther ever. Um, so very excited to see how that works out. Excited to see when he makes his first start. I'm guessing it'll be not this Sunday, but next. Um, so that'll be very, very much a must watch for me. Because I, like I've said many times on the show, I'm a huge Cam Newton guy. I really, really enjoy Cam. Uh, as far as Odell, what a saga that's been. Because 
it was like he's going to get traded on trade deadline day. And then the Browns were like, no, nah, we, we really don't want to trade you. We'd like to keep you around if that's cool, Odell. We, we gave up a pretty nice package uh, to get you from New York. It'd be cool if, you know, you played football with us. And Odell was like, no, thanks, brother. I want out of here. And they're like, he makes a good point. We should probably get rid of him. And they decided, you know, after the trade deadline to be like, oh, yeah, Odell, you get out of here. So they just, you know, cut him. They're like, we're going to pay you to leave, which wild move for a guy that's considered an elite wide receiver or was. That's a completely different conversation, though, about Odell's abilities in 2021. And so for like it's been close to a week now that Odell's just kind of been in purgatory, NFL free agency purgatory, because for at one point. He was on waivers, but he wasn't really. It was just Twitter telling us he was on waivers, but the Browns had done nothing. The papers were not done. So it was like another like 24 hours of mystery. It's like, is he on waivers? Is he a free agent? What's going on? Uh, He finally passed through waivers, uh, hit the free agency market, apparently talked to a ton of people. Apparently he was just being suited by all the top offenses. Uh, A lot of people thought he's headed to New Orleans or Green Bay. That was my impression anyways. I was like, he's going to be a Packer. He'll, he'll join that craziness with Aaron Rodgers. And what a what a carnival that would be. <laughs> all the Aaron Rodgers stuff that's going on, all the Odell stuff, that would just be, like I said earlier about the NBA being reality TV, the Packers would give them their own season. We said they should be a 30 for 30. That would have added a whole episode of like a last dance type deal where you get 10 episodes, just the Odell. Um it could have been episode number two. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm very happy that Odell um, landed in L.A. because it shows that the Rams are still desperate after a decimating loss to the Titans. The Titans beat them so bad that the Rams are like, we got to go get Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, that's one of the best offenses in the league. And they're like, we're, on our, we're, on, we're sitting on the ropes. We don't know what to do. And they went and signed Odell, which – Seems kind of desperate if you're asking me. That's that's team of seven. The Titans didn't have to go get Odell Beckham Jr. Titans are we don't have Derrick Henry I'm like Odell. No thanks. We got Adrian Peterson. We're good. Um, but all silliness aside, I, I think it is a good signing. Plugging Odell in any offense is a great signing. Throwing him in the Rams offense with Sean McVay's mind and Matt Stafford's arm that could be really dangerous, especially when you guys guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and whoever else they rotate it tight in and running back because they just rotate guys in and out all the time. And Odell could be really, really dangerous. It could be a lot like AB in Tampa Bay where you kind of forget about him. And then it's like, oh, yeah, they have Antonio Brown. This sucks. What is going on? But also they're doing this to keep up with the Titans who don't have Derrick Henry and 44-year-old Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, which I think is funny. But um, also I think it's very interesting. Since Sean McVay was hired as the head coach of the Rams, these are some of the big transactions they've made. They've traded for Matthew Stafford, Jalen Ramsey, Vaughn Miller last week, Marcus Peters, Akeem Tlaib, Dante Fowler, Brandon Cooks, Sammy Watkins. Through free agency, they got Oda Beckham Jr. today, Leonard Floyd, and Ndamukong Sue. That's insane. That, that is, I wish the Titans did that. I wish that, that would be incredible. Just your team going after it and being like, we want to win. We will do whatever it takes to win. Trying to get big names in there. It's very, very cool. Uh, it's, it's just a shame that the Rams didn't do this in St. Louis because uh, they never went after it in St. Louis. They're like, we got Steven Jackson. 
<laughs> go out there and run, Stephen. And that was about it for a while after the greatest show on turf, which this they're kind of getting back to that Rams territory. But for a while in St. Louis, it was some sad football, which was unfortunate. And then they go to L.A. and they're like, oh, we're just going to be the Los Angeles Lakers of the football field, which it's cool to watch as a fan. But if I was a Rams fan from St. Louis, I would be livid because they did nothing for a long time in St. Louis. And then just that list, which is pretty much since they got to L.A., is just wild. All the big names they went and got. But, yeah, very, very excited about the Cam Newton stuff. The Odell stuff, I'm sure, will be great for L.A. They're they're really good. They're going to be in the hunt for the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship and probably the Super Bowl. That that seems good. Matt Stafford's awesome. Sean McVay's awesome. Odell's okay, I guess. Uh, and that, that seems good. Uh, but what were your reactions about Cam, Odell, both, neither, one? whichever lane you want to take yeah so first uh, I saw the Odell just a couple hours ago right before we were uh, about to start recording Um, and my first reaction was it reminded me a lot of when Golden State signed Durant uh, in that offseason just because it felt like you know like oh they just get everyone you know everyone was vying for Durant there were so many rumors and it's like oh Golden State's just gonna get him you know, uh, oh, Boogie Cousins is on the market. Oh, it's just Golden State's going to get him. Yeah, that's kind of what it felt like because the Rams just have, like you said, just gotten everyone. Anyone that's major that's been on the market, uh, it seems like the Rams are at least in the conversation or just straight up going to get. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, good for Matthew Stafford. Uh, he should have already been teamed up with Odell when the Lions passed up on Odell to draft Eric Ebron. Uh, I mean, we all know how that worked out. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for them to get to be able to team up uh, like they should have. Uh, I think obviously that offense is going to be insane now. Uh, it's already pretty ridiculous. Uh, even how bad they looked against Tennessee. Uh, I, I still think that like, that's, that's going to be nuts. Add Odell to that, that offense. Uh, you don't really need to say much about it. That team is going to be insane, scary, good. Uh, and you know, it just shows, they really want to win a Super Bowl. I mean, they really, really want to win it this year. Uh, and I think they have a pretty good shot. I mean, they're, they're very talented on both sides of the ball now uh, with multiple all-pro guys. Uh, for Cam, I'm just happy for him. I'm happy to see him back in the league overall. But, I mean, what like you said, what a perfect place to go, like Carolina, to have be able to fill in for an injured Sam Darnold and, and get your glory back uh, leading the Panthers again. I think – yeah, I mean, it's going to be awesome to see him and Christian McCaffrey in the same backfield uh, once that does happen. It's going to be awesome to watch. So uh, I hope I hope it's not the end. I mean, like, uh, I don't think um, I don't think Carolina fans or, or the, the management have been very sold on Darnold. Uh, if Cam does well, why not bring him back for another year while you wait and try to find another quarterback? Because, uh, you know. I still think he's Cam's one of those guys where I'm still convinced he's going to be amazing because he's just so built for that position and, and football in general. He's just a, a an action figure in terms of how he's built. So I just am always convinced he's going to be really, really good. And uh, that's what I, I think he's going to be really, really good for the Panthers. And until I see otherwise, I think uh, the Panthers are going to be really, really good now. So we'll see how Cam can do. I think I've seen posts from him on Instagram and that he's been working hard being re- keeping his body ready for once a team does call. So uh, I'm hoping to see him just pick up in stride. So um, I'm excited for both of those moves and to see how both of those teams uh, pan out. 
I really hope the Cam uh, resurgence is kind of like what happened with Melo going to Portland, where he was out of the league for a while, and it was like, fans were like, why is he out of the league? It's Carmelo Anthony. What is going on? And I know probably all time in the two sports, which isn't really comparable, Carmelo is probably a little higher than Cam Newton is in terms of like football. It's probably not a perfect analogy. But Cam Newton was sitting at home, and he should not be. Cam Newton is still young enough and definitely in good enough shape to be playing football. Um, I know there were some other variables going on with Cam, but he should have got calls way before this. And I'm happy it's Carolina getting him back in there. And I it just I think everybody's rooting for Cam to show out in the Panthers uniform and then to make some noise, maybe upset some people down the line and uh, just have fun with football, being being Cam Newton, being super Cam, doing doing the thing. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Excited to see it as well. Awesome stuff. Uh, happy to get some closure on that storyline with Odell and with Cam. Uh, all right, finally, we are going to move on to the college football picks this week. Dylan has us picking between Baylor and Oklahoma. I've got us picking between Ohio State and Purdue. And the fans have us picking between Wake Forest and NC State. We will start with that ranked matchup between NC State and Wake Forest. A crucial They're game. They're all ranked. They're all ranked. That is, yeah. Every ranked this week. 13 Baylor, 4 Ohio State, 19 Purdue, 12 Wake Forest, 16 NC State. What a week. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, I think that's the first time. I think that's the first time that that's happened. So, uh, oh, thousand percent. Exciting. So these could go any way. Like, yeah. These are pretty much <laughs> in the air. Very much, oh. very much in the air. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll start with the ACC ranked matchup. Wake Forest, NC State, who you got? It's got the rivalry flair, and I feel like Wake Forest, I'm doing a lot of boxing analogies. I feel like they're on the ropes after that tough loss. That was a tough one. And I, if, if you've been listening, you know I've been rooting for Wake Forest. They're kind of like spiritually watching them as Tennessee's had a coming back uh, up here with Hypel, kind of learning a uh, new system, getting some, getting some decent wins under the belt in Knoxville. I've been kind of living through Wake Forest, watching them play good football. But North Carolina kind of delivered a knockout punch, I think. I think Wake Forest is going to fall again. I think NC State's going to upset them uh, in Raleigh. So it's a rivalry game. It's going to be played later in the day. The Wolfpack, that crowd is always fired up. It's basketball, football, whatever. I think they're going to be really fired up to knock off Wake. They were really fired up to knock off Clemson earlier in the year. I think it's going to be a very, very similar scene in Raleigh, North Carolina. I think the Wolfpack are going to get a win over number 12 Wake Forest. Who do you got in that one? I'm going with Wake Forest in this one. I picked against them last week and it worked out for me, but they definitely gave me a scare. I mean, that was a fun game to watch, the North Carolina-Wake Forest game. Uh, Their offense is very, very, very good, and it's just their defense that can't really do much. But I think they have the ability to overwhelm a team like NC State, and I think they do just that. They take control of that Atlantic division of the ACC, uh, and they're going to be in in the ACC championship game. So I'm picking the team that you've been hot on all year. I've picked against them a few times. I'm hoping I can steal a win in that one. Uh, All right, we'll move on to the Big Ten matchup. Uh, Number four, Ohio State at home against number 19, Purdue. Uh, Can Purdue come away with another another top 10 upset, or or are they going to have a tough time with the Buckeyes? Probably um, because I'm picking number four, Ohio State, Purdue probably will get another big upset because it seems like that's all Purdue does now. They, they just ride that boilermaker into whatever Big Ten t- town it happens to be, and they just play really good football because that's, uh, that's what those Brom teams do. That's what they, they've done since he got to West Lafayette. Um, but I'll go with Ohio State. I, I just, we just did our uh, rankings. I had a lot of praise for Ohio State. 
I need them to get a top 25 win this week to make me look kind of smart. So, yeah, I'm going with the Buckeyes over Purdue. What do you got in that Big Ten matchup? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think Purdue's magic ends in the horseshoe this week. Ohio's off, Ohio State's offense is clicking. Jackson Smith, Jackson Smith, Najigba went for over 200 yards receiving last week. I mean that that team is just incredible, uh, and that's without Garrett Wilson on the field. I mean that once they get them back, I mean that wide receiver core is just stupid good. So I, I like Ohio State big in this one at home. There's no chance Purdue wins that game. Uh, finally. A critical Big 12 battle between number eight, Oklahoma, and number 13, Baylor. Uh, who do you got in the Big 12 matchup this week? So like I said with Ohio State-Purdue, it would be absolutely crazy for me to pick against a team that I just had so much praise for. And I had a lot of praise for Oklahoma. But guess what? I'm crazy because I'm picking per- a Baylor. Sick them. I think they're going to get a big win. A lot of people have been calling Oklahoma frauds all year. Baylor's going to expose them. It would be a huge win for Baylor. Um, and I – they're they're going to knock the Big 12 out of the playoff, which sucks. But, hey, Baylor's going to uh, be rocking on uh, Saturday night when they knock off number eight Oklahoma. Who do you got in that one? This this very well could be where the rubber meets the road for Oklahoma. I'm going to stick with the Sooners over the Baylor. I think Oklahoma is way above any other team in the Big 12 right now in terms of their recruiting and everything. And I think Baylor showed last week their floor. Uh, they lost to a TCU team that just got rid of Gary Patterson, I think, Oklahoma will be able to exploit everything they saw in that game last week, break it open. Uh, I like the Sooners in that one. Uh, I think that one's just going to be too much for uh, a team like Baylor. Uh, and Oklahoma gets a big, big key win and maybe gets a little bit of respect going into the next week's uh, playoff rankings. Uh, all right, that will do it from us here at the Dylan and Dylan Show. Dylan, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Another big old weekend. Um, Tennessee hosts number one Georgia on Saturday. And – like I said at the end of the show, I'm not going to talk myself into it. I could see Tennessee playing with them for three quarters. I could. I there's not an SEC. In, uh, there's not an SEC. There's not an offense in the SEC quite like Tennessee's. They had Kentucky has a very good defense. I mean, that's a top 30 defense in the country. There's a lot of teams in this country being top 30 is pretty good. Breaking it down for the people at home, um, they were able to just obliterate that defense their scoring drives were all less than like 40 seconds that's absurd i they're not going to have that kind of success against georgia but if they're able to do some of the stuff where they can get the offense going have the tempo get mismatches on guys like Venus jones on a linebacker like i know the linebackers from georgia probably run a 4 240 and they've got a 70 inch vertical but if you're able to get that instead of the cornerback that runs a 3 40 then you, you could maybe get some plays in there. Um, I think Georgia's going to beat them, but very excited for that because just a little possibility of knowing that anything's possible in this wide world of sports. Um, and I also want to wish very good luck to my high school alma mater, Murray High. They have a very, very big game tomorrow against Mayfield in the second round of the playoffs. Murray has beat Mayfield twice in my lifetime, and they both come in the last two years. Last year in the regional championship and this year in the regular season, Tigers are going to Mayfield, Kentucky. They're getting three straight wins, which is unheard of. And they're going to roll into another playoff game next week. Very, very excited to see that. Uh, might go. I don't know. It's getting cold in Kentucky. I'm kind of a wuss. I don't want to know if I want to uh, break nature tomorrow night. I don't know. Might sit in and watch basketball. I don't know. But good luck to the Tigers. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, big weekend for me as well. Uh, Michigan, obviously, tra- traveling to Penn State. Uh, 
luckily not a whiteout game or a night game, but still obviously winning at Penn State is not easy, but uh, at least avoid the whiteout in the night game in that situation. And Michigan basketball is back. They got a big win against Buffalo last night, which doesn't seem like a big win, but Buffalo is a very, very good team, very solid team. Uh, and we got a nice solid win against them, uh, but uh, just awesome stuff. I'm, I'm really happy. I think this is sneaky. One of the best times of the year to be a, a, a fan of, of sports. Uh, so I'm just happy uh, for November to get going and, and really get into the thick of it. Uh, all right, everyone. Thank you again for listening. Here's where you can find us. The show is on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Dylan Dylan Show. You can find TV Sports on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore TV Sports, Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports, and on the web at www.tvsportsmag.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe out there. Enjoy your weekend. We will meet you back here next week. See you later.